listening to It's All About Perspective with your hosts, Abigail Peterson from Kindergarten Chaos and Principal Robert Hinchliffe. Join us as we discuss education from various points of view. Take the challenge of listening to see if your opinion changes. But no matter where you stand on the issues, remember, it's all about perspective. Hello and welcome to another episode. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It's another, well, it's the countdown now, right? We have about six weeks left, Robert. Yeah, so you have six weeks, but I I try not to count down, but that is under 30 days, I believe. Yes, it's it's crazy. This year has been definitely um, very different for, I think, probably every single person in education between virtual and hybrid it's masks even if you've been in person i'm sure there has been mask mandates so it's um it's been a very interesting year so it's it's been different than anything else anybody's gone through ever for sure uh uh-huh and i'm looking forward to see how next year is going to be it you know with um immunizations on the rise and you know the vaccine's going to be available probably to children in the next few weeks or months, we'll see how that how that all pans out. I'm let's let's hope it's close to normal. I think people need normalcy. Yes, much much now as they ever have. So, right, even just for mental health, I think I think that's going to be that's going to be a key. Um, so we were having some conversations earlier, just because we like to have conversations, <laughs> and um, you were telling me that um, the CARES Act is going to be giving our specific school district a very healthy chunk of money. We're not exactly sure on the exact amount, but a very a very nice amount of money that will hopefully help our district. So it got us to thinking and kind of brainstorming a little bit about you know what we would change in education. And so there's two ways to look at it. Let's how would we change education without money or what we would change and basically the budget is endless. So what's your thoughts on how you would change education? Uh, so, you know, I, I have these always in my mind. I've got a list of five or six things that I think would help schools, Clark County schools, teachers. Um, of course, these aren't all my ideas, I think, all the time. But I've got a few. So I'll just give you one uh, that the first one that came to mind was uh, in Clark County, a parent can request what's called a zone variance. Mm -hmm. So if they don't like um, their kid going to this school, they can put in for a zone variance and the principal can approve or disprove it uh, to go to a different school, not in their home zone area. One thing I think the district should do is get away with zone variances except for staff employees. The reason I think this is, I'm not a huge school choice fan. I believe that they, you should fix the school and have buy-in into the school into your zone. But what is happening is a few things. One, some parents with the means to go to a quote-unquote better school can. What they're doing is they're taking their student, perhaps they're successful, and those successful students are going to a different school thus taking the success away from the lower performing school. So what I mean by that is, let's say that 50 kids from a school who can pass an SBAC 
get a zone variance to a different school, you're taking those 50 kids from the lower performing school and thus making it a lower performing school. You're taking resources, whether it be students or parents, away from a school because they're going to a zone variance, a school that they chose. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like that is right because then we're judging that school on their scores when all of the quote unquote successful students may have opted to go to a different school. You're, you know, it's not an accurate depiction of that zone. Uh, and I don't like that. Plus I also know that some schools, um, basically I would, for lack of a better word, sell zone variances. Perhaps you want to come to my school and I look up your previous SBAC scores and I see that you pass with flying colors and I know that mom and dad um, will donate to the school. Well, yeah, I'm going to sign that zone variance. I look up a student who has discipline issues and uh, didn't pass the SBAC and the parent was trespassed. No, I'm not going to sign that zone variance. So you get a little bit into the winners and losers. And I don't think that's necessarily fair either, because if you take the student whose parents donate to the school um, and you take them to your school, you are then taking resources again away from another school that may really need it. And if all of the good resources or the quote unquote good kids are leaving a school, that makes it more difficult to turn around. So that was just one thing I had right at the beginning. I don't like zone variances um, for non-staff employees. Um, for those reasons. But it, that's very interesting because a court, well, the way our district works is you, the numbers that you have in your school is equivalent to basically the amount of money you get. And so I know, for instance, our school that we were at together was a, what we would consider a smaller school, like less than 500 students. And so our yearly budget was dependent on how many seats were filled. And so I know that a lot of principals and a lot of schools, they want to hand out zone variances so that they can get more money so that, you know, so you don't lose a teacher or maybe you can gain a teacher. So I would be totally on, on board with that if it was, if it was completely, legit. And like you said, if it was just employees that were getting zone variances, but so many times I see where it's like, oh, well, you know, my friend is the such and such, or she's the niece of the friend of the mother of the grandmother who works in the, you know, and it just becomes this big problem, in my opinion. Um, I think our district tried you know, years ago, I, I don't think you were here back then. I've been here since 1991. And we used to have what they called sixth grade centers. And they would bus kids um, very much like a zone variance where you would say, okay, well, you are in this area and you're zoned for this school, but now we're going to bus you clear across town. And the Clark County School District found out that that didn't work. It didn't change. It didn't do what they thought it was going to do, except upset families, upset fam, you know, on, on both ends. And so I, Hey, if anyone's in our district is listening, <laughs> maybe they should consider that. Well, I have brought it up before, um, to people because you're absolutely right. And I am guilty. I don't want to say I'm not guilty of signing zone variances. When I was at Smith, we had to have 494 kids or that meant we were going to have to surplus someone. 
So about September 1st, if we're at 493 or 490, then we're going to start accepting zone variances because I do not want to lose that teacher, which equals $88,000. So again, you have put, you have pinned me against the neighboring schools to fight for those dollars. But it goes back to what you said in the beginning in, in support of no zone variances and that it's, it's taking away from another school. And it's like, let's just, let's just equal it out. Let's just equal it out. And if there's no zone variances and you lose a teacher, well, that's just the name of the game. And you have to go into that school knowing if you are the newest teacher that's been hired and you have the lowest seniority, then you know going into it that there's a chance that you could be surplused and you have to be okay with that. And you know what? You're not the only person because there's plenty of teachers in our district that that happens to. And again, I don't want to make you think I don't do it. I am as guilty as anyone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but I don't like it because, again, you're pinning me against other colleagues and other schools and taking resources away that are desperately needed, whether that is in terms mm -hmm. of student success or money or parent support or whatever. And so that that might be just an issue here in Clark County. What's another way that you think that we can fix education? Maybe that's a little bit more global and not necessarily sure. strictly on our district. My global one is I believe common core state standards are antiquated. You can call them NVAX. You can call them whatever you right. want. Abby, I'm curious. How many times in your life have you used trigonometry or geometry or algebra two? How many times have you really thought about shades of meaning or nuances? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many standards that do not apply to life now. Absolutely. And I, I agree. feel like it's eating up teacher time and taking away from teaching things that are important. And here's, here's an example. When we worked at Smith, I talked to the fifth grade teacher uh, in math. And I'm like, hey, is there five standards that you can cut out that you know kids don't need? And he's like, you know what? There's five. The problem is, you know full well that if I cut those out, those are the five that will be on the SBAC test at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Great point. So it goes back to testing. So we'd have to redo the whole common core standards and state testing thing. But teachers out there, I guarantee you, you can think of a standard you're teaching that doesn't need to be taught. And now that I have a high schooler and a middle schooler, there are so many things that do not pertain to life. Absolutely. We, we went through it when we were in school. Am I ever going to need, am I ever going to need physics? Not unless I'm going to go into something that requires it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like one thing that they're finally coming around on, I think is financial literacy. Absolutely. That, Things like that kids need, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to, how to apply for a loan if you need it, or how do you apply for a job? Let's do some life skills for high school, but nope, they've got to have algebra one. They've got to have algebra two. They probably need to know how to cosign, sign, all that stuff. It's interesting that you say that because I was having a conversation with some family a couple weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, of course, you know, when you get around your parents and if your parents are older, they talk about the good old days, you know, and the good old days being, you know, <laughs> um, my dad happened to be talking about home ec and how when he was in school, which was in the 50s and 60s, how, you know, he took home ec and how you know, he took typewriting. Well, obviously 
we call it keyboarding now because we still use keyboarding to some extent, but now we have voice to text and now systems are coming into play where even keyboarding is kind of going out. And so I was thinking about how they've done away with some things, for instance, like I said, typewriting, but yet they haven't replaced it with something that is relevant, such as financial literacy or such as creating a, not necessarily a resume, but being able to even communication. We live in an age right now where everything is online and they don't have to speak to somebody. So can we, can we talk about, you know, can we have a class on communication, whether it's communicating through text, you know, it's not real um, professional to send a text that says C, the letter C, and then the letter U. (laughs) Let's, you know, let's learn to be a little bit more professional, maybe. And, you know, that's just my thought is going along the lines of what you said, let's take out some of those antiquated things, but let's replace it with something that's more relevant. I agree. And I get I get um, into some hot debates with people when I bring this up. You know, like kids, kids need outlets. I completely understand that. I get that. Um, So when we were opening the school, I brought up this whole idea. I'm like, okay, what what do kids need these days? They need computer skills. They need social emotional skills. Mm -hmm. They need to know how to read. They need STEM. I uh, they need PE. I'm like, what if we make those the specials? We don't have art and music as a special because we can listen to music now very easily in the classroom. Now you're going to, and that's fine. You can push back. Teachers always do. (laughs) But when, when kids get to middle school, if they want to elect to take art or elect to take music, that's because they are, um, they're engrossed in it and they want to learn about it. We force kids in elementary school to take art and music, which I believe is based upon a 75-year-old system, when they need computer skills. Now, on the flip side, teachers will argue with me that they get computer skills. They're on technology from the moment they're born. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right, and I agree with that, and I'm open to both sides. However, why why isn't – if every elementary school had a special called socio-emotional class or growth mindset class – I think the world would be in better shape and I just can't help but wonder if we're using specials incorrectly in elementary school, which goes back to, we have these standards and these old ways of doing things. Okay. But here's what I think is I think that we need to integrate them. Okay. Because I am against getting rid of music and art. And I'll tell you why, because it's been scientifically proven. We have right side and left side brain people. And some people have never really had experience with either side, correct? So let's give them the options, just like with our own personal kids that we have. If a child says, oh, I don't like broccoli. Well, you've never tried it. You let's let's try it. Let's experience it. And then you can go from there. So let's have music. It doesn't have to be the old way. It doesn't have to necessarily be reading notes. But let's integrate that with some social and emotional. Guess what that's going to take? That's going to take effort and research on us as educators, which leads into one of my points of how I would change education. And it would be, it would be moving the people that are the antiquated people, move them around, 
Okay. So, so you move up the ladder and, and you've been in education for 25 years and suddenly you get to be on uh, the board of education or you get to be the superintendent just because basically of how long you've been in education, but you are so far removed from what is actually happening in the classrooms. And so you, you have this team of people that are making all these decisions that haven't been in the classroom. Let's start moving them. Let's, one of my suggestions is I think that admin, you're not going to like it, but I think admin and I think people that are in the higher ups, I think every other year need to be like student teachers and need to go back into the classroom for nine weeks and spend in the classroom. Because I think that you will suddenly have a new appreciation and say, oh, this has now dawned on me that, uh, okay, I, I see the problem here. I see the problem here. So there is a law. There used to be where um, people in central office or all admin had to spend a day in the classroom. <laughs> okay. okay. Joke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. A day, a day. No, I, 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 okay, go ahead. I'll let you finish. Yeah, thank you. I have noticed that since I was out of the building in January last year until August and then through distance learning, I very much got away from what teachers were doing. So I understand your point. Absolutely. Are there people that um, are so out of touch with reality and tone deaf? Are they the ones making the decisions? Yes, for sure. I don't know that they need to be there nine weeks, uh, but maybe a week, maybe a week. You have to go through a full week. I could see that definitely helping because I will be the first to admit, and I've said this many times, this year is hard. I would not want to go back to the classroom this year. Um, I could muddle through it. I couldn't do it near as well as the teachers at Thompson. But I, I see your point that you are so frustrated as a teacher with people out of touch with what's going on, making decisions, that you want to fix that problem. Well, how are we going to change the curriculum? You're talking about changing the curriculum, you know, because we see a need for that. And who are the people that are creating the common core? It's these higher ups that haven't been in, in a classroom, in a setting for a very long time. And so this is just, again, from my very limited point of view, but they, they have a, you know, a team. Okay. We're going to have this team of people and they bring on one teacher. They'll bring on a classroom teacher as their representative, right? But do you know how much clout that one teacher has they say oh yeah thank you thank you for your opinion and they go and make their decisions anyways and so yeah there's quote unquote a teacher representative but the reason why I say nine weeks Robert is because you don't know what it's like to have to teach and then and then do SBACs you don't know what it's like to when all of a sudden, you know, you're just getting your groove and oh, now you have a new student in the classroom and now you have to adjust or all these, all the paperwork. Maybe if, if people saw the amount of paperwork and, the, you know, just one week, I don't think is going to do it. And I'm not saying that they have to make it, you know, change their salaries and take their precious money away from them. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they just need to have the experience and, and so they can have a little bit of empathy instead of sympathy. I, I hear what you're saying. Last two years ago, I think it was two years ago, I had to sub in fourth grade for three straight days. 
it was eye-opening in the fact that how many times I got interrupted, how many things couldn't go smoothly. Uh, then there was a fire drill or then there was this, then there was that. So it was eye-opening to me for sure. I agree that people are out of touch. I'm not denying that. I think that would be mm -hmm. a good start. I just don't think that they would be able to self-reflect enough or care enough to get out of their box to fix the problem after putting in that week. I think it would be just checking the box, um, checking the box. Um, and so I, I'd like to go back though, kind of go back to what you're saying. Like, I don't want art and music people to think I don't value you by any stretch. Mm -hmm. I do. I think the best art and music teachers are the ones that can blend in mm -hmm. social, emotional, and technology into their lessons. If you, I mean this in the nicest way, fourth graders have to learn the recorder. Mm -hmm. I was so thankful that Claire and Harper didn't have recorders <laughs> last year because of the pandemic. <laughs> it's not to take anything away from um, music teachers. It's not, right. it's not, but there's just not many seventh or eighth graders can play the recorder right now, even though they went through fourth grade. And, mm -hmm. and so again, I understand it might be fun for a little bit, but today's kids are just different. They need, oh, they need I, today's I music. They need today's I agree. And, ability. And that's why it. I'm suggesting, and that's why I'm suggesting there's got to be an integration because my, my two kids um, that are in public school, they go, I, I've shared this before, but they go to a, a public school, but it was, it was the original blended learning school before COVID last year, before blending learning was a, you know, was a regular term, they went to a blended learning. And so they don't have art and music. No, I take that back. My daughter does this year, but they, they don't have it as like specials. They're in sixth and eighth grade this year. But one thing that my son is doing is he's in robotics and I've been watching him and they, they did a whole, this is all online and they did this whole production and came up and they did a like a news segment that they created and they had to do all the working pieces and do green screen background, which is all relevant to what we're doing today. And so it's that STEM it's, you know, they had, they gave them Lego kits and creating these robotics. And so I, I am all for that, but it goes back to who's the people that are going to make the change, the higher ups. Oh, well, they're going to say that that's not necessary. I think too. Like, but that's, and so like, in thinking about it, art teachers or music teachers, if you're listening, are you using today's music to teach the lessons? Because kids are more in today, into music today um, from the people that are out there. Like they have access to it now. But if you were doing um, a Jimmy Crack Corn and I Don't Care, mm -hmm. kids don't understand that stuff. Give them something today. Or art. Are you teaching art and you're using apps that they can get on their phone and color stuff in or learn things. But if you have them, uh, you know, again, it's, it's such a challenge because the art and music teachers are going to push back, which is fine. But we cannot teach art and music like we did in 1950. It just doesn't work. We were blessed at Smith. We had a fabulous art, fabulous music teacher who really tried to bring things forward into the 21st century. And the kids like art and music. And the one thing I loved about our last music teacher um, is that she did bring the social emotional into the classroom. And one of the things that she would do 
for um, the intermediate students is she would do like an American Idol at the end of her classes. And it really gave some kids the courage. Maybe it wasn't necessarily that they were learning music and they now knew the scales and they now knew, you know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, da. Maybe it wasn't that, but it gave them the idea and, and the courage, like, I can do this, that growth mindset that we always work um, teaching about, you know, in the classrooms outside of the specials. And she brought that in. And I remember hearing stories at, you know, at staff, de- at staff meetings where she would raise her hand and she would say so-and-so and she would, she would recognize a student that everybody was like, really? Mm-hmm. That student did that? I'm so surprised. But it gave them their own little, you know, literal stage to to shine and, and have that social emotional piece. Perhaps you, you have me thinking maybe I'm going to uh, come up with another way to change it. Maybe we need more choices for specials in elementary school rather than the basic four or five. So mm-hmm. that kids can choose their passion, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week and go and do that. Yeah. We can expose them to other things, but let, let's give them more choices. That's my only thing is I love choice. I love choice. You know how I, you know, in my classroom, it's like I, in my literacy stations, there's choice. There's always choice because not everybody likes the same thing. But what I do have to say for younger kids is that a lot of times they don't know what they like. They don't, you know, yes, they, they have an idea, they have their own ideas, but sometimes they don't know. So giving them the option to try something that maybe they thought they wouldn't like and then they found out, you know, they like it. So I agree with having choices. Um, but I do kind of, I, I know um, when my son, he went to a magnet school for sixth through eighth grade. And um, in sixth grade, they make make them, and I'm saying that in quotes, but they have to take each one of the specialized programs one each quarter in sixth grade. And so it gave them the exposure to all, you know, to, to robotics and to, um, I forget what all the other ones was. That was a long time ago, but then in seventh grade, then they got to choose because now they had experienced all four. So then in seventh grade, they got to choose and say, okay, well, I really excelled in engineering and I really want to do engineering. And so they had the choice in seventh grade and eighth grade to choose. And I think that's a great idea. So if we could change education, maybe the answer is, maybe the answer is more choices for K through three, four and five, more elective type things in elementary Mm -hmm. school. I don't have the answer. I'm just throwing it out there. Not everybody is Mozart. Not everybody is Picasso. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody is uh, Magic Johnson. So again, they need to be exposed and find out what they're good at, but they, nobody likes to be forced to do things they don't want to do, um, Mm -hmm. especially once a week. Okay. So we're, we're, here's, here's one. We kind of hit on this one with the CARES Act in Clark County. One thing they're doing is quote unquote forcing every school to go to envisions math. Um, Ugh. So that's your opinion, your perspective. <laughs> Some people out there would be like, oh, I like Envisions. Some would be like, no, I'm going to be engaged in New York. Okay, whatever. I don't believe you can textbook yourself out of poor scores. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Why are we buying textbooks for millions and millions of dollars? Here's what I would do. I would pay someone whatever salary you thought this was worth, have them develop a program. So... We have a program kind of like this. You can t- touch on this. Basically, why can't you make a bank of 
good teaching strategies, a bank of good um, good resources for each standard. So you're teaching whatever, Abby, you're teaching counting to five. Mm-hmm. And you click on this resource and bam, you've got three examples to watch. You've got um, various quote unquote worksheets. If you like those, you can watch people use this strategy for this standard. And then that way you don't have to break the standards down. The district has put the time into breaking the standards down. Um, we have what's called curriculum engine. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same thing, although there's lots of errors in it. Why can't we do curriculum engine on steroids? Here is this awesome, awesome resource that has examples of lessons, examples of Abby Peterson teaching how to add to five mm -hmm. um, strategies, all of the things that are great okay. and have them in one bank rather than spending millions of dollars on textbook. Let's spend why? millions of dollars on that. Yeah, go. Why? Because it makes sense. That's why. That's why it makes sense. And number two, because it puts these curriculum companies out of business. And I've shared that before. I feel like it's it's the equivalent to the pharmaceutical companies in the medical field where they come and they pitch and they say, oh, use our stuff. Our stuff is so amazing. Look at the, look at our data. I completely agree with you. And that that goes hand in hand with one of, one of my ideas was, and that's meaningful PD. And it goes hand in hand. If you had, if you had curriculum engine or whatever system you guys use in your district, if you were able to click on the standard fluently add and subtract within five, and you could click on it and you could see three different ways and you could see some anchor charts to use and you could see, um, you know, some actual videos of kids actually hands on using manipulatives, things that you already have in your classroom, that would make sense. That's what I'm trying to do right now, Robert, is I'm trying to share with teachers and showcase that, look, this is how to teach it. It's easy. It's simple. You don't need a workbook. You don't need a manual. I don't need the district to spend $1,000 on curriculum for my classroom when I don't feel it's meaningful and productive. You could also within this, someone's going to rip this off and make billions of dollars off of us. Just, <laughs> just put us in somehow or we can we can come work for you. But, you know, people always say, well, the new people need a textbook. They don't need a textbook. They need resources like this where they can click and watch expert teachers do something and see what the model is. Not everybody's going to agree on what the model is. Okay, give three models then. Right. You know? I agree. Like if I could, what do you, like when you don't know what to do, these days, you click on Instagram or Google or Twitter or YouTube. whatever, or TikTok, YouTube, anything. You're, yeah. The teachers are already doing this. So right. why don't right. we build something and pay some people to do this rather than spending billions of dollars on textbooks? Textbook companies are a ripoff. And the reality is that there are going to be schools in our district that take that curriculum and put it in a closet and shut the door. And so basically, you've got a closet full of bags of money in your school closet because it's not being used. Some people been there, yeah, done yeah. that. Some people want the textbook. Okay, you want the worksheets. Well, on my curriculum engine on steroids, I'm going to have worksheets. And you know what's not going to be on there? Lower level questions. We're going to have mm -hmm. some numberless word problems. We're going to have something that stimulates a number talk on there. Whatever it may be. Why are we wasting money? Because guess what? Uh, in five years, that textbook is out of date. It's out Absolutely. of date. 
Absolutely. But we, you, can, we've... you can pay someone yearly to keep this thing up to date with the newest standards, the newest everything and throw new ideas on there and then maybe have a spot for room transformations that fit this strand. The ideas are limitless. If somebody has a billion dollars, they want to loan to me to get the best teachers in Clark County to build this thing. Mm-hmm. We will make 2 billion. I guarantee it. It's so amazing to me. We don't have this out there. And what the higher ups don't understand is that when it's like stimulating the follicles of the brain as soon as you start offering this to teachers and they start seeing like oh then as you start doing that new ideas come to you and you say oh i i i can use this oh i can use this oh uh mr henchliff can i have a spinning wheel because i want to use it for addition and subtraction oh i could use it for sight words it they don't realize the power behind giving the idea or you know, we talk about the main idea, the big idea, but letting the teachers have the autonomy to to create and and to make it work. That's that's what they're missing. But again, this makes sense. But Clark County School District, if you want us, yeah, <laughs> I'm willing to join your team. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, like Smith Elementary School. I think the highest we were ranked in the the district out of 226 schools was 17th, um, which was great. That's fabulous. We are in the top 10, 10th mm-hmm. percentile. That's that's fabulous. The reasons we were successful is because the teachers had the ability to do fun things they thought were right and not follow a textbook. If you follow me on Instagram or you follow my blog and you know anything about me, you know that. I one of my like taglines is meaningful and purposeful. That is what my what my goal has been or my mantra has been over the last few years because one thing I noticed and you can vouch for me when I first started teaching kindergarten I wanted to go into other classrooms. I I went into, you know, veteran teacher classrooms. I went into newer teacher classrooms and I just soaked up every kind of PD and every opportunity even on my own time that I could because I wanted to be the best that I could be. And one thing I found was that sometimes there's just things that classes, teachers, educators are doing that is not purposeful. It's not purposeful. It's just, it's just rote, R-O-T-E. It's just rote memorization, rote going through the go going through you know each little thing as uh, you know and there's there's no meaning behind it let's get some meaning behind it let's let's have some pd that actually is useful one of the things that i loved about when we worked together is like you're saying you have a team of teachers really strong teachers that all have these different ideas and when we would come together and we'd say hey did you see so and so many times those teachers would say, okay, I can flip this and I can make it work for my grade level. And that it, there's power in that. I agree. At some point in time, we have to let the teachers be professionals and get out of their way and quit telling them what to do and how to do it. So, okay, we're getting on here. This is my big idea. Okay. okay. This is my big idea. If I were the president, which will never happen, if I was the governor, which will never happen, or the superintendent, which will never happen, <laughs> here's what I would do. I would pay every teacher. It's a long, it's a long solution, so you got to follow along. I would pay every teacher $100,000 a year. 
starting. Okay. Now that's where we start. Okay. Doesn't matter where you're at now. Doesn't matter if you're close to hundred, if you're over hundred magically, you can keep your over hundred with that. The union would agree. They're like, heck yeah. With that comes what's called a three strikes rule. You mess up three strikes. I can therefore terminate you and you're gone. And that's the way it is. Now to combat that from principals who fire people for fun. If I, as a principal, every time I fire someone, it has to go through like a, um, you know, a panel, a panel or something to make sure that you are not wrongfully terminated. Okay. If I, as a principal wrongly terminate three people, then I am terminated. So therefore there's accountability on my side also. Okay. okay. We have gotten to where a teacher can literally do something wrong six, seven, eight times. And mm -hmm. you're not going to get fired. I'm just being honest out there. You're not going to get fired unless you mess up a lot. You could literally, I can say don't jump and you can jump and you're not going to get fired. The only thing that's going to get you fired is if you lose money or do something really bad to kids, which you shouldn't do anyways. Right. So going along those lines with that. So I'm going to offer the union $100,000 for every teacher. I'm going to give $50,000 to each aide. They are grossly underpaid. You know, $10 an hour to go into a room um, uh, and and sometimes be hit or kicked or whatever is not enough. We're going to run out of those soon. So every license, 100, every support staff, 50-ish, maybe more. Okay? Mm -hmm. With that comes the three-strike rule. And with that, everybody is on a one-year contract at every school. Therefore, if I come into a school and there are people do I do not feel like fit my vision – I can quote unquote non-renew them at that school and they mm -hmm. would then go to surplus and have to go find a school or a principal that they fit into their vision of. You're mm -hmm. not fired. You're not fired. You're just no right. longer needed at Smith because I want to go this way and I feel like this is the team I want to do it. What happens is I take over a school and there's 30 people there. 25 of them hate me the moment I get on campus then I'm constantly got to deal with that. If I got to just suck it up till the end of the year and figure out which ones I think can fit my vision and then go forward, the others go to a different school. Essentially what will happen is the teachers that can't find a school, I'm sorry, your services are no longer needed because if you can't find a school in Clark County where we are short teachers, then you have to look intrinsically at yourself and say, why can't I? So it would be a very... Um, fair way i think to basically let people i've said this before everybody needs to know when it's their time to go mm -hmm. and well i think the one I, I mean i i see problems with your with your big with your big uh solution but point of view. yeah but the one thing i do like as a teacher and this would be um you know, you're going to, there's going to be teachers that love it and there's going to be teachers Always. that are absolutely against it. But I do love the idea of a one-year contract. I do with, within, with your school, with your specific school, because I think that if, I mean, you and I haven't always got along. There have been times that you have been very upset at me and Likewise. there have been times. Yeah. But I feel like I'm pretty confident. I would say probably 85 to 15% confident that even though you may have been upset at me or didn't like the way I handled something, that I think you you appreciated what I did in the classroom. 
And so you would renew me even though we had personal differences. And so I I feel like I am competent enough that I would have my contract renewed where there's other teachers that they need that little light under their, their, they need that fire. They need that, that little carrot dangling that says like, step up to the plate or step off the plate, one or the other. I agree with you. And that's where admin, you have to make that decision if that ever happened. Okay. Are the, are the past issues more important or more um, substantial than the future and what we can create? you would have to weigh who is who is there to you know continue to move this bus forward as we talked about last week think about and think, I, think about i don't think i don't think it would ever work at the salaries that we're at now but i definitely think that if you were if we were offered and of course this is just our you know our 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 made up little you know solutions but i think if if we were offered $100,000 i think come on you better you you better line up to to what you're being paid. And, you know, and so I just don't think it would work right now with the salaries that we're at. Okay, that makes sense. And the reason that I, I say you need to pay them is because if you really want to attract the best teachers to Las Vegas, you're going to have to have a salary that blows people away. And in order to basically fill the void and continue to move the bus forward with better talent and better talent and better talent, you're going to have to make it a place people want to live. The problem right now, I think, too, what this does is going back to people need to know when it's time to go. You need to know when it's your time. If this were baseball, Johnny Bench, who caught in the 1970s in the Hall of Famer, he would still be the starting catcher, even though he probably cannot hardly walk because he's like 85. <laughs> but in education, he can. No, nope, that's my starting position. That's my starting position. Literally, unfortunately, I think there are some people out there who really can work into their 80s. Like one of our people at Smith, Mm -hmm. um, she was fantastic. I told her, you can stay as long as you want to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because she kept moving the bus forward. Some people move the bus or just ride. And unfortunately, you can ride and walk just enough to stay until until you mm-hmm. you want to. So again, there has to be a way to weed out the writers is kind of what I would mm-hmm. I would come up with. It's not fair, it's not nice, but I also know like if I can attract really good people to my school. So like we used to have people that would want to come to Smith, but I didn't have any open positions and I knew they were fabulous. Well, I know they can do better than X or Y or Z, but I'm stuck with X or Y or Z. We can't move our bus forward when we're stuck with the same people on our team all the time. And I think that really handicaps some schools in some ways. Mm-hmm. We have to find some way for me. Um, you know, like if I come into a new school, those people might not be my style. They might right. want to work with textbooks all the time. And then I throw their right. textbooks away. There has to be a way for us to mutually part ways and go that way without feelings being hurt, without them losing their job or any punishment on the principal side. Now, I I mean, I, like I said, I like parts of your plan, but that obviously requires a lot of money. And so they would save um, it by not buying textbooks. Yes, that's true. But I don't, you you know how that's going to go. So I think though, that out of our conversation today, I truly think there's two things that I think that districts across 
globally across our country could do. It, it would probably cause some kickbacks. It would probably cause, you know, a slight rumbling, but I think it would benefit. And that is what you said. Let's change our standards so that it's not just strictly um, antiquated standards. Let's let's get some other things it, it, that are meaningful and purposeful involved in that. And let's give teachers a system that isn't just a bunch of um, standards written down on on paper. Let's give them some uh, some meaningful resources. So I think that is an amazing idea that that districts across um, our country could do. And then I also, and I know you don't like it, but I also think that higher ups, including admins, I think that they should be, they should go back at least every, you know, two or three years and have to spend, you know, a significant amount of time in the classroom because I think it would really change some people's perspectives. When we talk about perspectives, I think yeah. it would really change your perspectives and it really would give um, some insight into what is happening in 2021, not in 1998. I want to end my ideas. I agree with you. I want to end my ideas with this quote that just got sent to me. And I, it's just random, but it kind of fits kind of what I've been talking about. Whatever you think you can't do, just know that there is someone who is confidently doing it wrong right now. They have no plans at doing it better either, and people are paying them to do it. Please believe in your own excellence as much as they believe in their mediocrity. So take mm -hmm. these ideas. If we had any believe in your excellence of the ideas as much as they believe in doing a mediocre job and change education. Like when we work together, my whole idea, my whole thought process, is how are we going to revolutionize education? How are we going to change it going forward? So, yeah, we can't do some of these things right now but we can do something to change education. So starting tomorrow, let's do it. And it all starts with a spark. It all starts with a spark. And it's like, it does look overwhelming and it, you know, but I, one time I had, um, this is kind of funny and it's kind of personal, but, um, you know, I, I've struggled with my weight my whole adult life. And so I went to the doctor and, um, I, my doctor, my, regular family doctor. He's funny. And I was like, I'm just struggling. And I just, you know, it's, it's just, it, you know, it's just overwhelming and it's too much and I can't, you know, and he said, you know how you eat an elephant? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, one bite at a time. That's right. One day at a time. And so really, you know, it, we think, oh, this is insurmountable and it's never going to change. But you know what? It takes one spark. It takes one conversation. It takes, you know, Robert and Abby having a podcast to just put out these ideas and somebody hear it and say, look, let's take a little action. You know, we can see that this is something that other teachers and other educators are wanting and let's be the change. Yeah. Let's be the change. Be the change. That's the thing. Don't be afraid to change. We don't want, we want to leave it better than we got it, essentially, you know, better than it was when we were here. Move it forward, even if it's one bite at a time. Move it forward, right? And no matter where you stand on the issues. It's all about perspective. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We would love to hear your perspective on this episode. 
head over to our Instagram page, It's All About Perspective 2021, or our Facebook and Twitter page and share your opinion. Don't forget to subscribe or rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And one last thing, remember, it's all about perspective. Perspective.